Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. We move into Proverbs 30 for our call to confession today. First three verses. The words of Agur, son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. When we read this proverb, we may naturally wonder, well, who is Agur? Was he a contemporary of Solomon, maybe a scribe? And really, historians aren't really sure who Agur is. Agur could simply mean a pen name for some, some other author, though it's likely he was a real person who collected and recorded these wise sayings. Here he records the realization that mankind, himself included, falls short of obtaining true and certain wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of God. He says, I am too stupid to be a man. Some early translations use the word brutish instead of the word stupid, conveying the idea that he saw himself and all of humanity in want of intelligence, unable to use their reason, and being dull of wit. He, like Solomon, may have been, from the, from the human perspective, incredibly wise, unusually perceptive, remarkably intelligent, and full of knowledge. But he had come to the perspective that sees outside of himself, a place of realistic humility that perceived who he really was, not in comparison to his peers, but, that, but as he stood before the Holy One, who was the perfect perfecter of truth, beauty, and holiness. Agur is, expresses a right humility before his Creator and Lord. He understands his place, like Isaiah did before God, who in Isaiah 66 says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things come to me, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In contrast to an honest humility, pride lies to us about ourselves before the Holy One, or it deceives us not to even consider ourselves in this light. Pride blinds us from seeing ourselves as we truly are. May God, by His Spirit, in his word, give us humility and extend to us wisdom. Let us kneel and confess our sins together before this God of knowledge, wisdom, and grace. And as we continue to, uh, in our uh, series, um, series in, in Philippians, Turn with me, chapter 1, and today we're going to deal with uh, verses 9 to 11. Last week, um, through Paul's thanksgiving to God for the Philippians, we saw, we saw how confident he was in the good work, the good work God had begun in their lives, and so confident as well that God will will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, at the second coming. Um, 
I didn't say uh, last week, but when Paul says the day of uh, Jesus Christ, he's pointing out to the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. He's really affirming the deity of Jesus. He is the Lord that was uh, prophesied in the Old Testament. And now, you see here, uh, today, we're going to see Paul's uh, joyful prayer for the Philippians. And before we get there, now, if God is the one who had begun the good work in your life, and you know that He would do it until He accomplished everything, and you see, we may find ourselves uh, um, tempted to think that we had nothing to do with this work, isn't it? It's about God. He's the one. So let's just relax, isn't it? But today we're going to see through Paul's prayer that that's not the case. The reason why Paul is going to bring this prayer today is because he is confident that God, who began the good work, is the one who will bring it into completion. And as a response, we have the responsibility to answer to God's work. By the way, our answer to God's work, as we're going to see here, is already the good work of God in us. The only way we can answer to God's work is because God is working us. So salvation is by grace. But even, even here through Paul's prayer, we're going to see that we do have uh, this responsibility to answer. And this idea that we, we do have responsibility will be more clear on chapter 2 when Paul says, therefore, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. You see, that is, a, that is our responsibility to work our own salvation. How? With fear and trembling. But the only reason we can work it out our own salvation is because God, who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So our good work is a response of God's good work in us. So let's go to the text here and see Paul's prayer. Verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure, or King James says sincere. I'm going to use this word, sincere. So you, you can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's seek God's guidance as we open His Word. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you again for bringing us together. Even in the midst of this weather, um, you have drawn us here today to hear your Word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit guide us, open up our minds and hearts, and make us, cause us to, to obey, to listen, and to apply it to our hearts. 
In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, after uh, giving um, thanks to God for the Philippians, now Paul will pray to God for the Philippians. They are not perfect. And Paul starts here in verse 9, It is my prey. How many times have you approached some brothers and sisters and say, I- I'm praying for you? I think it's normal. But what Paul is doing here is much more than that. Paul is saying what he is praying for them. Have you, have you done that before? Not just saying what you were praying, not just say that you were praying, but say what you were praying. And that's very important because Paul wants to point out their spiritual needs and point out that God is the source for this answer. It's not just I'm praying, so yeah, be confident because I'm praying. No, no, be confident because I'm praying to God. So Paul wants them to to know what they were supposed to pursue. And there is a list here. You saw here in the bulletins. um, We have the base for growing love, the purpose of growing love, the source for growing love, and the goal for growing in love. But we can even add here another point. The nature of love. Love is the seed here. You know, we have this agricultural um, metaphor here. The love here is the seed that must grow. And the love that Paul is saying here is, is the love of God, God's love. Love is the greatest command from God to us. When Jesus was asked to uh, summarize the whole law, love was so foundational for it. Love is one of the distinguishing marks of a true Christian. Love is the base for us to obey God. If you love, you keep my commandments. But love is also foundation for us to accept God's discipline. Hebrews 12. So love is, is huge. It is the basis for everything here. Love, Paul continues to say here, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. What does that mean? It means that love, there is no limit to love. We saw last week that we saw Paul's appreciation for the Philippians, his, their love for him, even saying a guy. To, to, to bring to him these uh, monetary gifts. They, they were not lacking here love. You can see here. It is my prayer that your love, there is love here. I pray that your love may abound more and more. In other words, this love should overflow. There is, there is never enough love. There is no limit to love. That's what Paul is saying to them. Because there is a division in this church. Two ladies fighting against each other. And it is very strange, isn't it? That sometimes we can love people so far from us. As they were loving uh, Paul. But among each other they were fighting. Lacking this love. So there is no limit to love. Although. 
the Philippians were an example of love for other churches, now Paul is saying to them, you are not perfect. There is still room to grow when it comes to love. In other words, we cannot graduate in growing love or in exercising love. But here's the problem when you think about our needs of growing love or our needs of exercising love. We have a tendency to limit our responsibility to love others. We know we are very picky whom we want to love. You may recall um, in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, when a lawyer stood up to um, put Jesus to test by asking him how he, how he could inherit eternal life. And then Jesus asked him, what is written in the law? And how do you read it? In other words, how do you apply what is written in the law? And then this uh, lawyer said, you shall love the, God, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your minds and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to the lawyer, you have answered, you got it, do this. And you, you will live. But listen now. The lawyer desiring to justify himself. In other words, trying to limit his responsibility in love others. He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? If that guy is my neighbor, I'm fine. But if that guy is not my neighbor, I don't care about him. And then Jesus goes on telling the parable of the good Samaritan with the conclusion that you are the neighbor. Don't ask who is your neighbor because you are the neighbor. In other words, whoever is around you in, in need of care, you are supposed to love. There is no limit to love here. So that's the nature of love for us. We could add these first points. But you see now that as we go to our first point here, the base for growing love is to foster, is by fostering it with knowledge and all discernment. So Paul does not leave us with an abstract idea of love, as if you can choose what is love. No, he is going to qualify the truth, the true biblical love here. Verse 9, I pray that your love may abound more, more. How? With knowledge and all discernment. So the love that Paul is referring here is theologically and biblically orientated. It's not just love for love, a sentimental love only. So, in one, in one hand, we can agree with this um, word, wordly expression in Proverbs. Uh, love is blind. Have you heard about that? Love is blind. Of course, th that might be true. Because we, 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 don't, we don't 
choose, oh, I'm going to just love the white people or just the black people. No, love transcends human differences and division. But, on the other hand, Christian love requires biblical knowledge and discernment. The Greek word Paul uses here is epignosis, referring to advanced spiritual knowledge. In the New Testament, this word that Paul is using here, knowledge, is only about spiritual things. The knowledge of God, the religious knowledge, spiritual knowledge, doctrinal knowledge. Paul's reference to this word here in the, in the New Testament is related to Christian life and growth. For instance, 1 Timothy chapter 2, this knowledge is the means of salvation. Salvation itself is described as knowledge of truth. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. This knowledge here, this word Paul also used to say that this, this is the mark of a true Christian. Titus 1, verse 1. Knowledge is also one of the evidences of Christian growth. Colossians 1, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 2. In Ephesians 4, verse 13, Paul says that knowledge is the state of full-grown Christian. So we can conclude here that as Christians... We grow in proportion of knowledge. Without the knowledge of salvation, there can be no progress towards mature love. How can we love the Lord if we don't know Him? You see, the more you know the Lord, the more you know His work, the more you shall love him. So the knowledge that Paul is uh, referring here is the knowledge that comes by studying God's word. But how many people sometimes seem to increase in love without increase in maturity? So Paul is not just talking here about the intellectual knowledge as a product of our minds. We don't stop only in our minds. We go down into our hearts. So the knowledge here that Paul is referring is also related to the experiential knowledge, the product of experiencing Leaving out the gospel. And living here is related to relationship. The Old Testament used this word in Hebrew. To know means to relate it. Abraham, no. Sarah. It's, it's an intimate relationship. It's not just intellectual exercise here. So the intellectual knowledge here comes through studying God's word. 
And the experiential knowledge that Paul is demanding here for the Philippians comes from walking with God, relying on the work of the Holy Spirit, His voice to us. And we need both. We have to have the ability to know what is right. And we have to live in light of what is right. So yes, the law that Paul is referring here is theologically orientated. But we don't stop just in the intellect. We walk with this knowledge. We live out this knowledge. And another thing to notice here is that the love which is behind the good work here must also be discerning. Knowledge and all, dis and all discernment, judgment. And a lot of people don't like this word when it comes to Christ Christianity. You should not judge. How many times have you heard about that? No, you're you not supposed to judge, brother. But the word discernment here, it is a discerning love. You love by discerning. You cannot love everything. You need to discern what is right, what is biblical, what is spiritual, what brings glory to God. So this love here carries the sense of moral discretion. It is a moral love. Second, the purpose of growing love is for us to produce good works. Remember, Paul is praying in his thanksgiving about the good work that God had begun. And now he's going to lay out what are these good works. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. So the love which Christians should bound more and more must be discriminating. That is, to approve, to recognize, to test. How many, of you, how many of you have seen a person in a bank or in a mall getting your money and putting on the lights to test the quality of the money, to see whether or not it's fake? So that's the idea of Paul here. Your good work must involve the ability to test. Is that good? But is that good according to the goodness of God? Because, you know, good in our world today is just a, a thing. So we, we have to produce good, good work in light of this testing, uh, discriminating ability to recognize the quality. And the word translated uh, approve here help us to see what is excellence and literally means um, the different things. Matthew 2, verse 26, Jesus was saying that your life is more valuable than those plants here that grows. And even God uh, takes care of them. 
your life is more valuable. That's the, that's the word here. Excellence. And what Paul is saying here is that we should apply these excellence. Excellence here to the way we live. The way you live should be superior than the way people are living in this world. So that you should have the ability to recognize what is excellent, especially in the way you conduct your life. So the growing Christian it should be marked by this um, recognition and practice of a higher level of life in all situations. And second here, Paul is saying, so that you may approve what is excellence, so that you may be pure and blameless. Or as King James says, so that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Jesus Christ. And I want to pick up this word from King James here, sincere. I think it's more close to the original here. Um, you must be pure, sincere, without offense, until the second coming of Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying here? That you must be perfect, get ready, he's coming, it's his harvest. We are growing. And when he comes, you need to be perfect. Is that the idea that Paul is saying here? So that you may be sincere and blameless. Of course not. Paul is not saying here that we, we should be perfect here because no one of us is. And we'll never be. But what Paul is saying here is that our lives must be open. First of all, before God, since we cannot hide nothing from Him. And then before others, we should be blameless. The word here for sincerity help us to get an illustration about what Paul is trying to say here. The Latin word Sincere. It's pretty interesting. It's two words. Sin. Sin. Sera. Without wax. And the Greek word translates sun test. So both words here point it out back to the first century regarding the pottery industry. So at that time, we have many kind of potteries, you know, you put your flowers, as we have many kind of cars today, many kind of qualities. And it was often the case that those vessels, those uh, uh, potteries, you'd crack in the oven during the firing. And cracked pottery should have been thrown away, but you know, dishonest 
dealers were in the habit of filling the cracks with hard wax. So they would paint so no one could see it. But when those vessels, those uh, pots, were brought before the light, then you could see the cracks. And that's the idea. That's the idea that we see Paul saying here that our lives sometimes may have many kind of cracks, but we should not deal artificially with those cracks, trying to hide, you know, with some wax, like Adam and Eve, that covered themselves with some figs, uh, uh, leaves figs. Not at all. We should go before God. We should rely ourselves in the perfect work of Christ. We should repent and trust in God for forgiveness. And then be blameless. So, in the first century, the honest dealers, they, use, they, they usually uh, put a sign in their fine products saying, Sin Sira, without wax, without cracks. And that's the way that God looks, God looks at us when we are covered by the blood of Jesus. So the only reason we're going to appear before God pure and blameless will be because of the work of Christ, the good work of Christ. And you see here, at the conclusion of Paul's purpose of growing love, he prays that his dear friends will not be caught up in the final days as those who are pure and blameless only but that they may be filled with the fruits of righteousness. And here Paul seems to intentionally leave us with an ambiguous meaning. Uh, commentators here cannot get a final meaning here. What Paul is saying here? Is Paul referring here righteousness as the fruit of grace? In other words, our justification in Christ by faith, is that the fruit of righteousness? Or is Paul speaking here about a new lifestyle, godly deeds, godly action? In other words, our sanctification. And most commentators agree that no matter what you choose here, in either case, the consequence is the same. A life that it is right before God, both in terms of our relationship with Him, our justification, and our obedience to Him, holiness, sanctification, must be applied here. The one never exists apart from the others. The only reason we can do good work, as I start today here, 
is that God began the good work in us. Sanctification is only possible for us because of the work of justification in us. And then the source. What is the source for us to fulfill all those imperatives of the gospel? Be poor, blameless. Give fruits of righteousness. How can you do that? And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernments, so that you may approve what is excellence, so be pure, blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So Christ, and here you're going to see that, Christ and His sacrificial love are the source for growing love. If you go to verse 8, go back to verse 8. Paul says, For God is my witness, how I, how I earn for you all with the affection. Whose affection? With the love. Whose love? Christ Jesus. So the love that Paul is saying here is agape. It's the love of Christ. Self-sacrificial love. It's the love that God loves us. One day I was trying to, to, to explain why homosexuality in God's eyes is a it seems it's, it's horrible and the person was saying but God loves everyone it's in the Bible John 3 16 he loves everyone and my question was okay but how he loves everyone God so loved the world there's no words to explain the person was saying to me it is just amazing love that covers everything no 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 calm down God so loved the world, there is no word, so that. And that, so that, in Greek, it is the means by which God loves the world. What follows qualifies the way that God loved the world by sending His Son to die for us. It's a sacrificial love. It's foundation for us to grow in love. It is by observing God's love that we're going to grow in love, in obedience. That we're going to seek sanctification, be pure and blameless. And that we will produce fruits of righteousness. God's love, Christ's sacrificial love, is the base for us to grow in love. We learn, we learn what is love from Christ's love. That's the, the basic meaning here. The fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And then the goal is pretty obvious. The goal for us to grow in love. Where's the goal? God's glory. What is the first, the first uh, question? Uh, Westminster shot a cate catechism here. What is the chief end of man? 
Man's chief end is to glorify himself, isn't it? Is to seek what is good for him or for her. Is that the end of man? No. So our love is a sacrificial love as well. For God's glory. We are just imitating Christ's love. And I close here with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, when Paul was really rebuking uh, the Corinthians about, against sexual immorality, because they were, as we are, temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Or do you not know that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were brought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's the goal for us to grow in love. Not to glorify us. Not to seek what is good for us. What we like. No, no, no. Our love is a sacrificial love to May God help us to live out the sacrificial love. Help us to grow. Because this love is like a seed. It's growing us. You need to live out. Because the honor of the harvest is coming. And when He comes, you get better. You better be ready. Not perfect, but ready. Loving all the time. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we marvel when we think about your love. A holy God, righteous, walking with fallen sinners and so disobedient that we are. And you still keep walking with us. You still keep working us. You never forsake us. We thank you for your love. And we ask that your Holy Spirit, O oh God, may apply this sacrificial love in our hearts. So that we may approve what is excellent. What most glorify you, O oh Lord. Whether in our homes, in our jobs... Everywhere, anywhere that we may be, O oh Lord, help us to live out this love with the chief aims to glorify you. In Jesus' name, we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, one of the most important places for tending to their care is really around the table. We gather, especially when we think of it at the end of the day, we gather around the table, kind of hear about each other's day, debrief, give perspective on the, on the day. 
the same way, this table is one of those most important places as well. Uh, it's at this table where it's a place where God's people gather for peace and for fellowship. At our home tables, we enjoy the peace and harmony and joy, the restoration, sustenance and vigor and rest that we get from gathering together and sharing the meal together. And it's this, here at this table we receive Christ's body. Here by faith, we receive Christ's blood. We have intimate fellowship with him, and because of him, we are reconciled and we are able to restore fellowship with all those who belong to him. So come, rejoice. Be prepared by what Christ has given to us here. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website. ChristKirkMI.com. That's C H R I S T K I R K M I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.